Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always a lot of fun to talk some hoops with my man Chris Dorch from the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. What's going on? Uh, you know, I've got my voice back. That's that's a good thing. Sounded good, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's a testimony to the power of three different ana- antibiotic treatments. Uh, finally found one that worked and got rid of this sinus infection from hell that I've been dealing with. Yeah, so uh, I'm good, man. Yeah, those things will make it tough, especially when you're uh, trying to, to do broadcasting work, as I found out. Coming up a little later in our show, we're going to have Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. He's going to join us. wrote a really good article about uh, what we've learned in the first year of the college basketball transfer portal. So uh, we're going to catch up with Kyle coming up here in a few minutes. Chris will kind of touch on a few topics and uh, news items here as we get started. Uh, as far as the transfer portal, I don't know if things are winding down or not, but uh, give us a quick update on who's gone recently and who's still out there that uh, folks are looking at or, or and, and where they're considering going. There's still a bunch of kids in there, not many of impact. Uh, recent acquisitions, which I thought were very impactful, Courtney Ramey went from Texas to Arizona. He's a 3 and D guy that Arizona needed uh, to replace uh, Matherin, I think. Uh, Isaiah Mosley went from Missouri State to Mizzou. Uh, he's actually grew up or went to school like three miles from Mizzou's campus. So uh, he's a big time scorer, not a elite athlete, but just a triple threat scorer who can get his points any which way. Uh, Keon Brooks went from Kentucky to Washington. I think that's a, a big ad for Mike Hopkins. This was intriguing. Jacob Grandison, who started out at Holy Cross, went to Illinois and actually played better than he did at Holy Cross, which is counter to what Kyle, right. Kyle's articles about, but I, we, we won't bring that up. He's 24 years old, shot 42% from three last year, and now he's at Duke, uh, which has dominated in recruiting under first-year head coach John Shire. And it's going to be interesting. Uh, he'll be at Jeremy Roach, and uh, and Jacob Grandison will be able to lead that young team, I think. And Grandison can make shots big time, so – he was important. And then Kerwin Walton, who didn't play all that much under Hubert Davis at North Carolina, but he's a 40% career three shooter. He ends up at Texas Tech. Now, the big guys that are still out there, I've been following this guy, Google this guy two or three times a day. Pete Nance, 6'10 forward from Northwestern. Uh, he's a new age guy all the way, uh, sort of an inverted type of big like Wisconsin used to do. Uh, he can shoot the three, he can pass it. He's got a visit scheduled for North Carolina this week, and that's huge, I think. If he goes there, then it could be Blue Ribbons preseason number one. Imani Bates uh, from Memphis, he actually reclassified last year, and it was a testimony that maybe some people should rethink leaving high school a year early. He's immensely gifted, but he struggled. Uh, they tried him at point guard and stuff. I don't know what his best position is, but he hasn't signed yet either. And then another kid named Emmanuel Acott from Boise State. He's kind of a six-eight point forward. So I, I think he can be impactful wherever he goes. I have not seen a thing, though, about who, who he's visiting or what he's thinking. So we'll find out. 
Interesting story uh, Jeff Borzella wrote on ESPN.com. We were talking about transfers, uh, maybe the, the the OG grad transfer, and that's Kevin Kruger back in the day uh, of UNLV. Transferred from Arizona State to UNLV to play for his father, Lon, and was able to do so immediately. I, I thought that was some interesting reading just about that whole scenario and uh, how, how basically the whole thing was supported for him to go play for his father. But uh, uh, Jeff Borzella kind of revisited that, that period of time when it wasn't nearly as common as it is now. That's right. I, I remember the early days of the grad transfer. Most of the transfers were inconsequential. I, I would venture to say 90%. And kids really did transfer to, to get a degree. But Kevin Kruger was the first. And ironically, it was his coach at Arizona State, Herb Sendek, that, that set the wheels in motion. Herb realized that, that Kevin had just two classes to graduate. And he said, why don't you knock those two out in the summer and then you could spend all next year on your graduate program unbeknownst to him the ncaa was passing this grad transfer rule where if you graduated and the school you attended didn't have a master's program that you wanted you could leave without penalty so kevin didn't leave for that reason he left to play with his father lon the hall of famer at unlv and it was really cool. He ended up impacting UNLV. They went to the 2007 NCAA's uh, game against Wisconsin. He scored 16, had six boards, seven assists, and hit four three-pointers. And then afterwards, Bo Ryan, then the Wisconsin coach, said, I'm one of the hundreds of coaches out there who tried to stop the rule. I thought about a guy like Kevin Kruger, and I thought, we're liable to play those guys, and he's liable to beat us. I said that a year ago. Then he beats us with some big shots. So he later said he was joking, but, uh, you know, he was the original transfer without penalty guy. And man, if we could have seen into the future, what it's like now, 1800 kids getting into the portal, uh, all with dreams of, uh, improving their lot. And as we'll talk to with Kyle Tucker, they don't always improve their lot. In fact, the majority do not, but I guess it depends. I mean, if you're a you know a big fish in a small pond and you want to go to a big pond and just participate in the NCAA tournament, maybe that's a good move. I don't know. We'll see what Kyle thinks. Some interesting venues being discussed for the upcoming season. Gonzaga and Michigan State are talking about playing on an aircraft carrier on Veterans Day on November 11th. Uh, it's been done before when they used to have the Carrier Classic. Uh, I remember mostly the uh, North Carolina-Michigan State game, uh, which was, I guess, 11 years ago, 2011, aboard the USS Carl Vinson. That was in San Diego. Uh, Syracuse against San Diego State in 2012 on the USS Midway. They also had some condensation issues uh, in 2012 when they were trying to play in Charleston on the USS Yorktown. The games were stopped and they ended up being canceled, but only through all the years that they've tried to do this, only a total of three games have been played. Two men's games, one women's game. Uh, so I hope they can get this done. It's such a cool scene. They, they set up all the bleachers in the court right there on the deck of the aircraft carrier. I, I would hope that they could pull it off. I really do. I, I think that it, it seems like the, the deal in Charleston was an aberration. Right. And that was just a, a atmospheric condition over which they had no control. You certainly got to have a plan B if, you yeah. know, a, a gym available if you can't do the aircraft carrier. 
Yeah, and I, I think they actually built uh, another setup, at least for that one uh, when M- Michigan State and North Carolina played in San Diego. They actually built another court below deck, like where they, you know, where they store the airplanes and, and things, uh, so that if they had weather or something happened, they could move down there and play. Uh, another doubleheader that is certainly going to happen November 11th will be Wisconsin men's and women's basketball are, are going to play at the home of the Milwaukee Brewers, which is now called American Family Field, but uh, will always be Miller Park to me. Uh, Women's basketball going to play Kansas State. Then the uh, Badgers, the men's team, will play uh, Stanford in the Brew City battle. Uh, that's a good – I hope they, they're going to start later in the day because I've watched a lot of baseball on TV from that place and it always has really bad shadows for baseball. It has a lot of windows up around the top the way it's made along the first and yeah. third base sides. So I, I'd imagine with you know days being shorter that time of year, that probably won't be an issue. But, yeah, those, those things are cool. I know they had said that they thought about doing something like that try to get it done for a few years. So uh, they'll be playing that uh, at the ballpark up in Milwaukee in early November. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting to note that American Family Field has a, a removable roof that stretches out for eight and a half acres and it consists of seven panels. So it's not like they're going to be out in the outdoors. And I would say in November 11th up in Wisconsin, it'd be pretty daggone cold. Yeah, it's probably snowing uh, already. They up do there. have a roof. I've not been to baseball there. I went to the old one time, the old county stadium, which was basically built uh, across the parking lot from where that that place is. Um, And that was the first time I'd seen people tailgating at a baseball game. So you rolled up there in the parking lot, and they're they're cooking brats, and they put that red sauce on it. It was awesome. That that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I I tell you, the venue I always think looks like would be a cool place to play basketball uh, is Arthur Ashe Stadium, where they play the U.S. Open tennis tournament. Every time I watch that – I look yeah. at the tennis court and think, you know, you could fit a basketball court in there pretty easily and, and like maybe push the stands up to the sides and it would probably look pretty cool. And it has a retractable roof now, too. I think they have. And after I said that, I think they have played basketball there before, like maybe a WNBA game or, or something like that. But I always think that looks like that would be a neat place to, to play some sort of, you know, doubleheader or something in, in the non-conference season sometime. So maybe they'll do that. Oh, that's a great idea. I, I think... If I'm, I'm thinking of, of weird venues. So we, we obviously both live in Tennessee, and there's this underground bluegrass festival up in the, in the mountains. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, what about a basketball game in a freaking cavern? But I would imagine uh, televising it would be tough. Uh, I don't know if you could get signals uh, underneath the. <laughs> I just run some cool, run, run some wires out of there. You could do run, it. Run some, run cables. some wires and uh, there it'd be dark in there, but you know you've got lighting. But I think a cave would be a heck of a venue. You'd have to share it with the bats, though. <laughs> well, being from Southern Kentucky, I know things about caves. I've, I've uh, yeah, expo- yeah. explored a few of them. Uh, you could probably figure it out, but I'll tell you one thing. If the lights went off, it's very, very dark in a cave. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about condensation. It might be, the, you know, dripping from the uh, stalactites could be an issue, too. Those things are always That's a, little, right. a little damp in there. Uh, rule changes Go ahead. Go ahead. for college basketball. Uh, they... they gone ahead with the rule change for flopping it will now be a class b technical foul which means one free throw uh that was approved by the rules committee and the playing rules oversight panel uh they felt that a warning just wasn't enough of a deterrent and i would say that's correct uh the committee is also going to provide some guidance to better define flopping for teams and players and coaches so that sounds like a good thing to me uh you know you don't make too big of a deal out of it but there's a lot of flopping that goes on and i I think that's something that the the game could uh, use less of if you ask me 
I totally agree. And I think, you know, it's it's not a horrific penalty, but it, it's a deterrent, I think, uh, rather than a warning, you get a technical on the first offense. So I think there's no question coaches coach that. They, they coach flopping. Uh, they may say they don't, but some do. I mean, I, I think in all of sports, there's a gray area that coaches explore, uh, you know, up to the, the edges of a certain rule. And uh, I, I really think this will help. I, I really do. I, I think that, you know, you flop, you get a technical, other team makes makes it. I, I, I didn't hear if the other team got possession after that or obviously they would, right? Yeah, so, I think so. Uh, yeah, so that that's a pretty big time penalty right there. The the play that drives me crazy is when a guy's dribbling with a ball, say moving you know diagonally along the wing, defenders right there with him. The defender is moving, and then there's a minor amount of contact, and the defender flops, and then then that's an offensive foul like that. that I, I just can't deal with that. So uh, hopefully that'll clean some of that up. Also, conferences can continue to experiment with live video at benches. Uh, that that seems to be a something that's you know certainly doable and and everybody uh i I saw a lot of people in the sec using it uh where where i sit for games is right next to the bench a lot of times and you see them kind of plugging in those tablets and uh making it all work so uh that will continue and also with the restructuring of timeouts that's been discussed uh on an experimental basis also maybe with the nit uh, a five timeout system for the second half 17 14 11 8 and 4 under those time periods where you'll have the timeouts instead of having the first call timeout be a full break so uh, that seems to make sense Uh, a couple other notes Cincinnati Houston UCF all going to join the Big 12 in July of 2023 Uh, they reached an exit deal with the American Conference they'll pay an additional eight million dollars for a total of 18 million to leave that conference Uh, BYU is also going to join they're now considered an independent so I I think the Big 12 despite losing Texas and Oklahoma they're adding some pretty good firepower in terms of basketball for that league I think so too. If if you look in, in in just pure basketball terms, I mean, Texas has been okay, but uh, under Shaka Smart, you know, they weren't a juggernaut. And Oklahoma has been okay under Lon Kruger, but again, you know, not a juggernaut. So uh, I think the teams that are coming in basketball wise are, are a great fit and, and a great replacement. But uh, not to demean uh, Oklahoma or Texas one bit. I mean, obviously, football is the reason they're they're moving on. But they've got great broad-based uh, athletic programs for sure. men and women's. Heck, their women's just won the softball championship, Oklahoma. So uh, it'll be interesting. I wonder if that will hasten the departure of of Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Texas to the to the SEC. Uh, the, the the price tag was even for those schools was pretty heavy they may be there until 25 which in which case the, the big 12 is going to be nuts for a while uh with all those new teams and texas and oklahoma still there yeah the uh, big 12 is going to have like 14 for a for a minute at least uh, until those moves happen 
Uh, ESPN's way too early top 25, North Carolina, Houston, Kentucky, UCLA, and Creighton. Gonzaga moved up 10 spots with the announcement that Drew Timmy's coming back. Also, the addition of Malachi Smith. Uh, I know you and you know about him uh, from Chattanooga. Efton oh, Reed yeah. had been at LSU and so forth. Uh, Baylor, Arkansas, Duke, and Kansas to round out their top 10 in the ESPN. Way too early top 25. It is, it is way too early, but uh, you know, gives us something to talk about anyway. It does, and actually it's not as early, I guess, as one might think. I've pretty much got uh, Blue Ribbon's top 25 uh, fleshed out. There's always room for change uh, because our deadlines are later than right. most other publications. But, you know, it's it's a pretty you, – you look at all the early top 25s, and there's pretty good consensus on most teams. Uh, you know, we're looking at a couple of teams in the Big Ten, one versus the other. Uh, which has more merit being in the top 25. I was just talking to two of my key, key writers about that today. So uh, I think we got that issue figured out. Then there's some uh, non-power six teams that that are going to demand consideration, if not inclusion. Dayton is one. San Diego State is the other. They both return every significant player. So – It'll be interesting. I, I like what I've got so far. Not ready, quite ready to announce it, but uh, uh, I really do like what I've got. And uh, there's there's good representation. And then again, uh, considering uh, non top or power six schools in there as well. Chris, our guest this week is Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Uh, wrote a really good article about what we've learned in the first year in the college basketball transfer portal. Kyle, how you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Doing fine. Kyle, I, I really enjoyed the piece that you and C.J. Moore collaborated on, and I was thinking about it and what you might use as an elevator pitch for that story. And I'm wondering if uh, the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence might might uh, might do the job. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, in some cases it is. In some cases it is. I mean, you can you. Can, high level examples i mean that that's the thing i think that can be maybe a little bit misleading first of all i would say i think it's right for players to have you know freedom of movement um i think the other factor is is this is this is a new thing and i'm not sure guys players and programs fan bases kind of new or or still maybe like how it's all going to look when, when it shakes out, you know, like uh, you have Oscar Shibway who transfers from West Virginia where he was a pretty good player um, and became the best unanimous national player of the year. And people look at examples like that and it's like, well, you know, of course is a good thing. Like it, this, this is an example of why it was great. Right. Um, for, you know, I think one of the coaches in the story even says like for every one of those type of stories, there's, we're looking back now after a couple, you know, basically two two cycles of, and I guess a, a little more than a year of time since the the port it became free. Tra- that you know, for every one of the Oscar Shibways or the even even the you know, um, you know, conf- all conference you know transfers that are out there, there's three or four lost minutes, lost shots, lost points per game. Um, you know, and, and do, do, how do those guys feel? You know, do they do they do they feel like 
the you know if they moved up did they maybe they feel better like if they moved up from a lower level even if they played a little less but they were on a more you know high profile program or conference maybe they feel like that trade was worth it um but if you just look at the raw data i mean i think you know some 60 percent of the guys that you know put had had less minutes less points um you know i i think most of you know most of the guys who are transferring think at least in their minds, right. That they are like, I'm going to transfer and get more. Um, and I think that definitely the, the high major to high major, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the, the guys who are going from one high major program where, you know, maybe they're buried on the bench to another, they feel like, well, this other place I'm going to go, he, he, this coach is going to give me a fair shake, you know, <laughs> uh, compared to the other guy. Yeah. And that's not, maybe not always the case. I found what I think is is a great example of what you guys were writing about. Cedric Russell of Louisiana. He was going to be the Sun Belt Player of the Year last year. On June 30th, a day before, you know, the NCAA said you couldn't transfer without penalty, he puts his name in the portal. He goes to Ohio State. I understand NIL money was a factor. Uh, he averages 12.9 minutes and 4.2 points. Uh the year before, he was set, he averaged 17.2, and he was first team all Sun Belt. Now, he did get into the NCAA, and and maybe that's an experience he wouldn't have had at Louisiana. I don't know because the Sun Belt's pretty much a one bid league. So, for him, it I don't know. Maybe it worked out. Maybe it didn't. But there was a guy who, like Matt Painter told you, coaches whisper sweet nothings in their right. ear, and. Uh, and, and maybe he bought into some of that and thought he could be the starting point guard at Ohio State, and it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, I think, like, you know, a story like ours, I think just examples like his, I think this information that we are building up now will at least give these guys something to think about, and it will give the coaches of players who are, you know, thinking about leaving some ammunition to say – Maybe you should stay. At least I think it should. It will. It will at least give some pause to some of these guys because, you know, like you said, maybe maybe the combination of some NIL money that you're not going to get at Louisiana, uh, and uh, uh, you know, an almost guarantee that you're going to get the NCAA tournament experience. And you, you know, if you go to a certain program, like if you're going to a blue blood or or a team that makes deep runs every year, or a team that's really loaded and they need one piece, and you you fit that. And you, you think, I have a really good chance of spending the whole year in the spotlight and then maybe going to a Final Four. Um, then maybe all of that offsets that you might play less. Um, you know, we had one coach who said, you know, that the pitch now is is play less, score less, get paid more. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> and it's all legal. <laughs> right. And it's all, you know, it's all above board now. And, and I – I have no issue with that. Like if, if that is what uh, makes oh. you happy, if that, if that's what sure. makes you happy, or if you're, if you're, if your family is in a situation where, you know, that's, you know, you're Nigel Peck and you can go to Miami and some booster is going to tell you $800,000. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, even if the, even, I mean, he's going to play a lot there, but even if they told you you're going to play five minutes a game, like, okay, that's fine. I'm helping my yeah. family. For 800K, I'm in. I, I, I think it's it's really – and one of the reasons we wanted to write that story and, and really look at the numbers, right? We crunch the numbers on every single 
transfer to a high major program last year. Um, I, I think it's just important to have all the information. I mean, whatever you do with it, that's fine. I like I, freedom is important. These guys should, they're adults. They should have freedom to, to move around because their coaches do. Uh, every assistant, every head coach that recruits them can turn around and leave before they ever get to campus. And so I don't really have an issue with it. Um, but I do think information is important. It, I think it was always going to be the case, the way it went down. Like the fact that the NCAA just washed its hands of this, they, they, kicked that can yes. down the road so long they had every opportunity to really get a better handle on it to create some better parameters to to better inform the situation to really dictate it because i think if they had come out and it, you know you could have constricted this more than you more than is is happening now if you had said hey right. you know we are putting nil on the table here are the rules we are we are putting transfer on the table but we're gonna you know it we need to have some parameters um, we need to make it clear, like which is currently not clear, even though there's only one treat, one free transfer. There's an assumption right now that even if you transfer a second time, they're going to give you a waiver, yeah. which is ridiculous. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, look, you're, you're, you get you're giving these guys, you know, a gimme, uh, use it wisely. But I, I think because of the way it went down because it was like all this, the NCAA punted and then it was just, here it is, have at it. Um, the first year or two was always going to be a, a, an absolute disaster, right? And, and a lot of guys were going to make bad decisions. Um, the question now is like with the information, you can't say yeah. you, didn't, you didn't know <laughs> now uh, that there are all these examples of guys who maybe, maybe got misled um, or maybe just – now we know that being averaging 17 a game in a mid-major guarantees nothing when you go to the Big Ten or the SEC. Um, yep. The trouble is ego, right? Nobody ever thinks that's them. You know, nobody ever thinks <laughs> nobody ever thinks I'm the guy who averages 17 at Louisiana but two at Ohio State. Like, of course yeah. I can do this there. Um, but that's fine. That's That's what life is about, you know, as an adult. So this is real life. There's a lot of people who in in that are not basketball players who think they're better at their thing than they are. <laughs> and 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 they, you know, they find out when they get to the job that they can't do the job and you know, they'll figure something else out, right? You you that's that's life. And so I don't have a real hard time with the realities of it. I just think it's important that that now we have some information and and hopefully players and coaches will use that and you know, I, I don't think I don't think it'll be as crazy as it has been going forward. For one, there'll be a smaller pool of players. That's another part of that story. Like the I think one of the really silly things the NCAA did was when COVID hit, give everybody who was in college at the time another free year. Yeah. Like that's idiotic. <laughs> the yeah. se- the seniors were the only people who deserved an extra year, right? Yeah. Like I mean, you got a whole college career. We don't need to reset. We don't need to like cause this this long chain of dominoes, you know, for years to come in in yep. scholarship crunches and and all this stuff by adding every like if you're if you just enrolled in school like you 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 know five years later you're playing an extra year because of COVID <laughs> in 2020. Right. Uh, but, but that pool of players is gonna you know dwindle down because you know you had that first wave you had all these like fifth and sixth year 
guys um, who are available, and that number is just going to become smaller and smaller. Kyle, uh, one for me uh, before we let you go. I, I know it's hard to say, but it, what transfers do you think could potentially be this year's Oscar Shibway? Give us a couple names that, that you think made that move and could really make that impact. Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> you put me on the spot. Um, you know, like, I, I think uh, Baylor Shireman is a really, really interesting one. Yeah. Uh, he was a guy Kentucky. Yep, I agree. Kentucky showed uh, interest in. He was a guy, uh, you know, who's he's represented by the agency that that represents Nigel Pack and those Miami guys, and like they're like they're out there getting what they can get. And like I, I get, I yeah. you know, again, don't don't fault it at all. Um, you know, Kansas was in the he had all these blue bloods in the mix, and he ended up going to Creighton, basically kind of staying home. Um, yeah. And it's a great fit for him. It is a great it's, fit. Yeah. I think it's one of the best fits in the portal for him, yep. the way they play. And I looked it up. They're a traditionally great shooting three-point team. Last year they shot uh, 30%, yep. which was in the 300 percentile. Yep. This kid shot 42%. So you're right. I think he fits in in so many ways. He's a passing forward he likes to play up tempo. They like to play up tempo. So going back to your earlier point, if a kid fits, you know, and he comes from a mid-major, it's apt to work better than if he just goes for ego's sake. And especially if he, again, it's like if, if you're the missing piece for a team, like Oscar Shibway right. was was exactly what Kentucky, you know, in that nightmare year they had, right? They didn't have a true, yep. true, true big man. They had no toughness. They were getting crushed on the glass. And you add the best rebounder in America, you know, you, you have all these athletes and scores and things, you, you, but, but you plug in Oscar and he's the guy who says, I'm just going to do all the dirty work, and, you know, and if you're, if you're Creighton yep. and the way you play and, you know, and Oscar fits Cal, you know, it might drive Kentucky fans crazy that he's kind of a more old school approach, but like Oscar was perfect for that. Cause he's an old school Oscar yeah. would have been the number one pick in 1985. You know, now he comes, <laughs> now he comes back to college because you know, the big, you yeah. know, the big man is is suddenly valuable again in college basketball. That's another interesting thing about both the transfer portal and NIL, um, and just the the evolution of the game of basketball at the NBA level. Like, you know, the traditional big man's not as valuable to the NBA, but it's got now he's got huge value in college. Armando Baycott and Oscar Shibway, you know, last year Kofi Coburn coming back to college when if if this was literally if this was 20 years ago those guys are lottery picks no no brainer lottery yeah. picks um and so yeah fit and and style and all that stuff really matters and yeah baylor shireman to me is he elevates creighton to you know but you know that's a team that can make a run i mean i think they're going to be a really popular no preseason top 10 pick uh they already had good pieces and now they add him you know he was also looking in addition to probably NIL stuff, he was looking for, uh, you know, he wants to to show what he can do to the NBA. And he was looking for a place where he, he does not want diminished minutes or shots. And, and he was, he yeah. was, his people were upfront about that from the start. You know, they were, they, you know, yeah, let's go somewhere where he's going to be showcased. And I think he found a place where he'll really be showcased. And I think that that's a, that's, that's probably my big winner of the, sure. you know, of the portal. Kyle, thanks so much for the time. Uh, really enjoyed the visit. And it's a terrific piece you and C.J. Moore wrote, so uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again down the road. Thank you. 
That was Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Check out the piece that he and C.J. Moore wrote about what we've learned in the first year of the college basketball transfer portal. It is really fascinating stuff. They went to a lot of work to to crunch the numbers on on all the transfers and see uh, what really the impact was of a lot of these players. Chris, I know a movie that you and I have seen. It's called Hustle. It's on Netflix uh, with Adam Sandler as the star. He plays a 76ers scout and assistant coach. Uh, A lot of familiar faces and cameo roles, but I thought it was really well done. Done. I saw a lot of people uh, recognizing and even saw a guy I know in uh, Drew Hanlon who played uh, one of the trainers in a, in a scene or two. But uh, really the, the gist of the story is about a young man from Spain who uh, Adam Sandler's character found and, and then uh, brought to the, the, the United States and kind of rolled the dice on, on tryouts and so forth. But I, I thought it was really well done and an interesting story. Yeah, and I got to point out before I forget, our buddy Fran Fraschilla was in the yes, film too. Yes, he was. Uh, playing himself. So, uh, yeah, you know, I love Adam Sandler. I really loved him in SNL, not so much in his movies. But he's had a later career renaissance, uh, uncut gems. And, and you know, uh, not a coincidence, he's a big sports fan. And in and, and uncut gems, he was a gambler. And, and in, in Hustle, he was a, a scout. And I, I've known so many guys like him. Chris Wallace, who started Blue Ribbon, uh, is a guy like him who just would get on a plane and fly to wherever around the world and, and go to these dank, dark gyms to watch some kid that they hope might make it. But uh, I thought it was realistic. Uh, I thought Wancho Hernan Gomez really did a great job. They, they could have gotten an actor, probably not that tall, uh, and maybe taught him basketball. Uh, that would have been really difficult. So the easier task was to get a basketball player and really kind of teach him how to act. And, and Wancho just was basically being himself, which I thought was great. Right. Uh, loved Queen Latifah as Adam Sandler's wife in there. You know, she was an athlete in, in the movie herself. So she long suffering, but uh, she understood what he had to do. Very cool that Robert Duvall was in there for a little bit yeah. as the Sixers owner. I looked it up. Robert is 91 years old. Uh, he did his. He made his film debut in 1962, playing Boo Radley in one of my all-time favorite films, To Kill a Mockingbird. So uh, great to see him there. And really, some shout-outs for, for people who I thought did credible jobs as actors. Kenny Smith. Kenny really Smith was comes really good. Mind. He was. Yep. Yeah, he's more than just a straight man to Charles Barkley's goofball on NCAA and NBA studio shows. He really acted in, in this film. He, you know, he was an agent, longtime uh, and teammate of Adam Sandler's in college, and I thought he did a great job. When I look at basketball movies, I don't think they're easily done. Uh, in fact, the only one that I really like, and I think you know what it is. Uh, is Hoosiers. I, I think basketball is just a really tough sport to to uh, credibly bring to the screen. And I think Hustle did a fantastic job of it. And like I said, Adam Sandler was great. He played that downtrodden scout, you know, that gym rat. And I've known so many gym rats in my life. So, yeah, uh, if you got Netflix, you haven't seen it yet, jump on it. There's a ton of cameos from NBA players. Uh, Charles Barkley's in there. 
Dr. J is in there, yep. does a pretty good job. Uh, Doc Rivers does a pretty good job. Brad Stevens. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Hustle with Adam Sandler. You can find that on Netflix. And when we do our next podcast, we'll give the uh, the full recap of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which by that point will have reached its conclusion. New episode dropped this morning as we uh, record this. So uh, we'll give the update on that next time. Chris, always a lot of fun. Uh, enjoy the time with you, and uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.